how do you possibly measure the impact that someone has made on the lives of so many? It's hard to think of anyone as beloved and respected as Eleanor Garcia, my dear friend, who was the one who has helped so many people, particularly immigrants to our community, bridge the gap to find their potential and open the doors of opportunity and new possibilities. For many years, she was the head of multicultural affairs at Berkshire Community College, but it's not the title or even the number of lives she's changed that is so meaningful. It's how she does it. She leads with heart. She leads with love. And because of that care and dedication, she's leaving the community with others who she has inspired to carry on her legacy. I hope you'll enjoy my conversation with Eleanor Garcia. I'm not trying to do anything but to connect and and i feel that's what i do connect um people who are in a situation where they're lost or bewildered because they don't know what to do and i have some answers or know the people who have the answers because i might not have the answers but it has been a great privilege and a great opportunity for me to do that i always think you know um i, I like the game of marco polo if I'm in a lake or a swimming pool, right? Uh, because the obstacles are imaginary, right? Mm. You're in a pool. Like I used to play Marco Polo in, Polo in a pool or the lake and literally I couldn't bump into many things that would really hurt me, right? But you're blind and you're trying to listen to people, right? Marco, Polo, Marco. <laughs> and I thought, you know, why do we have to play Marco Polo? You know, if I know where the things are, and what is preventing you from getting there is the blinders. Well, let's take them off. So um, I had the opportunity to know some things like I was listening to your podcast with Marina and with Liliana and how they are also helping people navigate in a territory that was unknown, right? And then it'll become familiar. But why do we have to play Marco Polo? I mean, I don't think it builds character. No. <laughs> I think it, it sometimes it creates despair, anxiety, uh, people can get hurt. So there are things where people need to learn things on their own, but on navigating some things like uh, being a new immigrant or relocating, you don't have to be an immigrant. You can be from Ohio and just move to the Berkshires. And I always think about that very American thing about the neighbors who would come with like a welcome basket, you know, like that was a wonderful concept. So why don't we keep on doing these? And maybe it's not the neighbor that shares the street with you, but it's the community. So let's keep on doing that. It is you really raise a great point on it doesn't have to be that hard. Why? And I think because over time we've been, I don't know, instilled with this idea that life is hard. You have to go through the difficulties and so forth. Um, when if we're all in this together and we're looking to help each other and realize that we're all living this human experience, it doesn't have to be that way. Why do we have this mentality? And and maybe it's this sort of Northeast Puritan kind of you know punishing kind of thing. I don't know. Um, I'm not a sociologist, but. But the way that we approach things, yeah, it we can make it easier. We can make it a more enjoyable experience. Life, yeah, and I and I think there might be some primal instincts, right, of self 
preservation. I don't know the word. Uh, <laughs> maybe there's something about that, but there's also the scarcity mentality, the competition mentality. Yes. Like if I have these and you have it, then I don't stand out. You know, instead of like, if I have it and I live well and my life is good and blessed, why wouldn't I be happy for your life to be blessed as well? So I think there's all these struggles inside of us. Some of them are instilled in us, right? And the guilt the, the, and the help also. I think we're like, we have these yin and yangs inside of us, right? The good and the, and the not so good, but we can overcome them. And I think that's, I mean, that's what you do with your show, right? You, you share other people's stories so people can connect and say, oh, that sounds great to me. Like I was listening to the marbles, well, like the comics one that you had. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was like, okay, that guy watched the same TV shows that I watched when I was a kid, right? But I don't have his skills or talents. And, and sometimes you just widen horizons, right? Some people will connect and some people will widen their horizons. And I thank you for doing that. Oh, thank you for doing that. Well, I appreciate that, Eleanor. And I, I, I think when we evolve and we, we begin to that scarcity thing, I, and I just want to hone in on that a little bit because we live really in a world where there's so much and there's, there's this great, there is abundance. There just is. Um, and I think that we've been made to feel as though there's scarcity or there's lack. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the, the more life we live, I hope, and even especially when we go through difficulties, because I think that's when you learn it um, most acutely, that because that's when it's most hard to be loving and giving. When you go through the tough things, when you go through you know, relationship issues or breakups or loss uh, or uh, the death of a loved one, that's when it's hardest to be good and to be giving and to project love. Mm -hmm. And that's when we need it the most. That's when we need it the most. So, um, and, and you don't heal unless you do that. You know, yes, you, you, have, to, you have to mourn, you have to go through the, the process, but at the end, we only heal when we, 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 when, we give, when we give our love. I think that's the purpose of life. Not only to heal ourselves, but to live. Um, I mean, we can do all these mechanical transaction things that allow us to provide a roof over our head, right? But why do we get a roof over our head? Well, of course, because we don't have like thick fur like the bears right out there. <laughs> but, um, but, but we also do it to provide shelter and food. But who do we provide it for? Usually for our loved ones, right? And so our existence is about providing love. And creating our loved ones either created us or we create them, right? Or we find them. But I think love is very important. And but we are so afraid of it that we sometimes get lost in the process. So when did you come to the Berkshires for the first My time? My very, very first time. I was 11 years old. Uh, and this is a story I have told before, but for me, it's very real. But like I didn't know much about Massachusetts but about the witches of Salem. So, uh, oh my God. So I was like, oh, Massachusetts and the Puritan hats. And oh, so I arrived at night. I arrived at night in the Berkshires. And so I had no idea literally where I was going. And of course, I didn't do any research because I didn't. 
I was like an 11 year old <laughs> kid, right? But I remember like in the night, I was in Beckett at a summer camp, the Chimney Corners YMCA camp. And so my cabin, like any cabin there, didn't have electricity. My All my cabin mates had already arrived early. I arrived like in the middle of the night because of my flight. And, um, and I could hear the something that sounded to me like the ocean. So I was thinking witches of Salem, like sailboats, Puritan hats. I was like, I'm thinking <laughs> I was by the ocean and there could be witches out there. And uh, the witches of Beckett. <laughs> yeah. <perhaps. laughs> I, I was 11 years old. I had a good imagination. Uh, and I woke up and there was no ocean. It was the wind through the trees that sounded like I don't think I had ever heard that sound before. And uh, that's a sound that I that I really, truly associate with my first time here in the Berkshires. And I love and and I fell in love with this place. I really, truly did. I felt I was a little bit mischievous when I was a child. And you don't say. You yeah, don't say. I was a little bit mischievous. And I thought actually my parents were sending me away as a way <laughs> to kind of like behave and honestly, if you read all the summer letter camp, like camp letters that I wrote were like, oh, please, please, please take me back. I'll behave. <laughs> um, obviously, it wasn't a bad place, but I was 11 years old and I had limited English language skills. So and I was a kid from from another country. My mom, when she got the packing list, she did the best to supply me with all the items that were in the packing list. But like we didn't, I didn't have a rain coat or rain boots. So my mother sent me with these plastic shoes that I hated. <laughs> uh, she sent me with a blanket that I thought she was thinking she was doing some cultural exchange learning opportunity, but it was like the typical Mexican poncho. It's like, oh, mom. <laughs> so, it, you know, you're dealing with the things of being a child, having a vivid imagination of being in a different place, in a different country, not speaking the language, looking very odd in the way I dressed. I looked very odd because my clothing was completely different from every other girl. Um, and, uh, and I had some very great experiences. And what so, was the reaction to you from and in when you're at a camp like that? It's not just people from Berkshire County. It's people from, I assume, New York City, Boston, maybe Boston, yeah. uh, that sort of thing. So there so, was a good range of student campers who were there. And I think um, this goes back to our humanity and the things that you were saying. Um, so, for example, at first, because I didn't speak that well, uh, I wasn't willing to put myself out there either. My clothing was weird. You know, there were all these things, right? So I was the outsider. And it was very easy for my cabin mates at age 11 to, to pick on the weak one, right? And I was the weak link there. And I had a wonderful counselor, Susan France nowadays, uh, Susan Aronson, who noticed, right? And she intervened and she um she did a lot of incredible things that changed our relationships like my i have cabin mates who today are still my friends um and susan is still part of my life but she was smart enough to to change the situation um to instead of making me the odd person out who had nothing to offer see that i had something to offer um we 
we had some funny jokes about my clothing, but it was, you know, it was, it was a wonderful experience for me and it was life changing. Um, at that time in my life, I was an extremely, I was going through a different and difficult time. And to be honest with you, I was an expert in hiding. So, for example, in school, when it was recess time, I would um, hide under my desk. So the teacher would close the classroom and she didn't notice that I wasn't playing out there. So when the classroom door was closed, I would come out from under the desk and I would clean the floor and straighten the lines of the desks. And But I, for whatever reason, I had decided to become invisible. And I was still mischievous, right? But so, you know, people are very complex, but I was perfect at being invisible. And Susan made but me. I love visible. that image of the mischievous individual. Uh, invisible. Invisible. <laughs> he said, yeah. Uh, you know, that's, <laughs> that's quite the contradiction. I know, but isn't it funny how we can be so many different people in so many different settings, right? Mm. But I was like that. And, uh, and Susan really made. She, um, at chapel, for example, on Sundays, there was, you know, every unit had a, a little person to speak about whatever the theme was. And she chose me to be one of the speakers one day. I was like, I have nothing to say. Like, you know, like Susan really changed my life. Um, and I'm very grateful for her. And by the end of the summer, I was visible. I had a voice. My awkwardness was valued or my differences were valued. And I kept on coming to the summer camp over and over and over. I spent 13 summers of my life there. I grew up in many ways there. I made new friends there. And uh, and I also discovered that I could be me there. I didn't, I wasn't nobody's daughter. I was nobody's cousin, nobody's grand. Like nobody knew my story. So I could rewrite my story without thinking, right? Because you're 11 years old, you're not like, oh, okay, I'm going to rewrite my story. But I had that opportunity. And I love that. Uh, I love the fact that sometimes we get those opportunities to rewrite our story and to be who we, I'm, I'm not going to say who we want to be, because I don't think I knew who I wanted to be, but it was just who you are. Mm. Right. And so I, that, so the Berkshires play a very important role in who I am. Hmm. Like I'm going home, but this is home. I do hope that you are enjoying the podcast. I just want to take a quick moment to let you know that this is a production of 180 Media. That's my full service communications and marketing agency. We do a full range of content development, graphic design, web development for WordPress or Wix or other web platforms copywriting, video work. We'll do the big high-end corporate video work with full production, or we'll also do more simple and quick, consistent video content to help you stay in front of your audience on social media and elsewhere. We'll help you develop your short and long-term marketing plans, and I can actually even coach you to nail that next presentation. And I'll also help make that PowerPoint presentation of yours a thing of beauty. Check out 180media.com and see also some of my past work and the agency's past work on my blog, johncroll.info. And now back to the podcast. The idea that allowing your child to be themselves 
is a concept I don't know that we do enough uh, consideration of. I think that sometimes we just completely forget that this little person is now going to go to school and then there's baseball practice and then there's uh, musical lessons and da, 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 the whole thing. And where is that opportunity? And, and I think in between, hopefully there are those opportunities for kids just to be, but like there's value in just to be mm-hmm. and, and allowing a child to just be. And I think that is really undervalued today. And I think it comes and goes because, for example, when you said the word be a few times, it reminded me of a musical. I think it's called Free to Be You and Me, or it's a song of a musical. But so I think as a society, we come and go. There have been many times when we are inspired to be, and there have been other times when we are um, try to shape to be. And I think because we live in society, it's inevitable that we find the outlets and we find the restrictions. And within both the outlet and the restriction, we will find ourselves, Mm. you know? Um, Yeah. I'm trying to think of something I heard about um, the spirit, but it's not coming to me. (laughs) But I'm going to do something very bad. Spirit, please come to Eleanor. Yeah. I'm going to invoke the spirit. Okay, John, (laughs) this is the first, okay? (laughs) But I decided... I was going to break the rules. I brought oh, a Milagro because my. the coffee is good. This is for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Okay. So see, I'm bringing my own weirdness, John. Because she is. Uh, so now what Now what is that? What this t- is what kind tequila. Of- oh, my. Okay. Yeah, are we, are, are we going to have this here? Yeah, okay. Yeah, because, you here know, if go. some people are having mimosas, why is it yes. weird and strange to have tequila? We're not going to overdo it. Well, okay? it is. But I, I think this is also part of. Um, <laughs> it, is it is Sunday. So. It's Sunday. It's mimosa time. It's tequila go. time. Oh, thank and you. you know what I was thinking about it? Yes. I was thinking I was. I know. I know. I, I plan this. OK, I don't <laughs> usually carry this in my bag. Yeah, right. But um, don't. Don't tell the Lennox police that, you know. You no, know, you this is why it's sealed. Oh, it's oh, sealed. Oh, sealed. It's sealed. 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 Salud. Salud. But I'm, this goes back to the weirdness, right? Like, so it's okay <laughs> to Ooh, have a mimosa. It's really, really good. It's really good. Mm. It helps you open up the spirit. Yes. That's why <laughs> they call it spirits, right? And if you, I mean, I don't know if you are a deep researcher of spirits of uh, but that's that's where it comes from right is i don't know the term John, but- spirits comes from that that the idea is that the spirits are now surrounded you and and after you have a couple of swigs we'll have a little spirit here but it was invoking the spirit but it goes back to the weirdness right so for example that has been part of my journey here in the berkshires to share who i am and my culture and demystify it. So, for example, I have people who say, oh, my God, tequila, you know, or they remember when they did shots and they got drunk and they create the crazy things. But there's also this kind of thing about tequila is wild and dangerous mm. Mm. and champagne on Sunday morning is fancy. And yeah, that's totally <laughs> right? <laughs> is that a so, Bloody Mary 
is fine. Tequila, not so much. Why is that? Because we have these cultural beliefs that shape us and change us, but we're widening our horizons, uh, letting the spirit flow. And honestly, I I am a tequila drinker and I didn't come to talk about drinking. (laughs) But if other people could have a wonderful conversation with a glass of wine, right? Why not tequila? Always, that's the thing. Why not tequila? Let's have a glass of wine. See, it, it yeah. is that you know, I, you know, co- coffee with a little bit of Bailey's in it. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that's so good. Uh, but I think I, I really thought today maybe if we are talking about who I am, my culture, and demystifying us, is this is a very easy spirit to um to share with other ones that doesn't lead to dangerous things or <laughs> havoc in your life, but um. But I forgot why we were talking about this. Period. I just knew I had to do the mischievous thing. No, um, no, it's that I think it's because I really want people to know that in spite of the fact that we're different, um, we share so many commonalities. Uh, for example, tequila um, comes from a plant. People know it's blue agave, but uh, there's many different kinds of agave in Mexico. And in Mexico, during the colonial era, uh, one of the main industries and economies was actually these agaves from which you could make something called pulque and from which you could also get rope, like um, the fibers of the agave were I used see. to make rope. Okay. Like if you ever go to the Yucatan Peninsula. So it's not like a hemp thing or maybe it's, yeah. kind, of, it's kind of similar yeah. to that. Yeah. Okay. And ropes for boats, you know, think about the colonial era. One of the best ropes were coming from the Mexican uh, ports. But this drink was not refined. And the Spaniards who colonized Mexico were not necessarily drinking pulque, but they ran out of brandy. And so using their own ways of distilling and having what was available in the land, they tried this crazy thing. And here comes tequila. Yeah. So it's, it's also called innovation. Yeah. But expanding <laughs> your horizons, right? Doing the best you can with what's available. And by doing that, introducing something new. Hmm. So why do we limit ourselves, right? Because of tradition, custom, um, fear. Uh, and I think, you know, for example, I, I like it because it's a merging of cultures. It's coming from the earth, the roots. Uh, get their nutrient from the earth. It's only tequila. It's only from the tequila region, which is very important. As champagne is only from the champagne region, and I, I have my sense of pride, you know, of place like um, I was driving through New York the other a couple of weeks ago by the Hudson River, and it said distillery, and it's like, oh, I'm hungry. It's raining. I need to use the restroom. Uh, there's this place, it's open. So I'm going to go pull over there. I had some nice lunch and they gave me a tour about the place. And you, and every place, everything has its sense of time, place, history. And I was like, wow, you know, I just got an incredible life lesson of people going up and down the Hudson River, opening monasteries. Like, why were there so many monasteries along the Hudson? I knew nothing about that, right? <laughs> why is that? <laughs> I don't know. I and they were very Catholic, actually. It was like, yeah, oh, very okay. interesting. Interesting. But anyway, so people, you and I and the monks that had the monasteries on the Hudson, uh, we're fluid and we come and go, right? Mm. And we take pieces, bits and of pieces from each, each each other and become who we become. I don't think I am who I am because of me. 
I am who I am because of the people that have influenced me, pushed me, challenged me, supported me, widened my horizons, and 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 taken me out of my bubble. And and I think that's what I enjoyed the most about my time in the Berkshires, my bursting of my own bubble, my discovery of how my bubbles made beautiful things out there in the air with other bubbles. A burst bubble creates something else. Yeah. And I don't know, but I love. So in Mexico City, there's a huge park. It's called Chapultepec. And that park is incredible. It's like our central park. And when when I was a kid, uh, our parents would take us to Chapultepec and we'd be riding our bikes or in our roller skates. And there's these people who sell like little Gerber, like baby food Gerber jars with water with soap, right? And color. <laughs> and these little twisted uh, frames with, uh, it was just like a little metal twisted with yarn and we would make bubbles, you know? And it, and there's a song about this very famous uh, Spanish songwriter called Juan Manuel Serrat, who says, I like to see bubbles lift up in the air and burst into joy. And as a child, I love those bubbles. And um, I, w- I saw Tasha yesterday at Widow's, <laughs> Tasha from Jacob's Pillow, and we were talking about life and bubbles. So... I, I love that my bubble was bursted in the Berkshires. My world was widened in the Berkshires. And I hope that little particles of my bubble touch other people's bubble. You lead with heart. You know, and I think that your journey, um, and we can delve into that a little bit more as far as, you know, what you did and when you came here and you left one time and came back. But, you know, I had a conversation one time with uh, a mutual friend of ours, someone who you worked for (laughs) back in the day at Berkshire Community College. And, you know, uh, and his perspective was, oh, if only she got her doctorate and, you know, know she could be, about. and she would be a dean of this and a president of that, and she can do whatever she wants. And I, and I look at that. Um, and again, we have a certain perspective on what success is. And I think that's really an important point. And by the way, I love this man. You love Me this too. man. And he's a great mentor, probably to both of us, um, for sure. But there's something to be said for a path that isn't necessarily planned by society or planned by the people who think this is the way that we're supposed to go. And, you know, in your world, it wasn't to be a college president yeah, it's <laughs> one not. day or a, a dean or, or that sort of thing. And I just bring that up not to, you know, not to call you out as far no. as how talented you are, because we know the, the potential in that world that you would have. But it's not about that. And when I hear you speak, and when I, as I've always heard you speak, um, it's about these experiences. And and I think these kinds of relationships and the bubbles floating up and bursting and all the rest make a greater impact in so many ways, as opposed 
to sort of following the traditional route. And and I'm not pitting one against the other, Mm -hmm. but there's value, immense value in what you've done. There are more people who absolutely love you and adore you. Um, I can't can't imagine anyone around who who have more people who uh, sing your praises and not just in the not just in these superficial mm-hmm. ways, you know? So, um, so I think like when we look at impact and what is impact, I mean, at the end mm-hmm. of the day, like, what is it? I mean, like, what are we doing here? We live a life, you know, hopefully we learn lessons, hopefully we touch other people and, and uh, you know, bring some joy to their lives. That's what this is all about to some extent. It's not about our framework mm-hmm. set down by society or what have you. How are we providing joy to others? How are we impacting other people? I think that's that's really a lot closer to what this is all about. But, you know, I think it goes back to society and our voices and freedom. And I, I know that um, that that path, that journey obviously leads to other opportunities and maybe higher impact or high wider reach. Sure. And so I honestly, I listened to his advice. I was following it. And then I was like, no, hell no. I mean, like I was struggling. I was like, like literally saying to myself, why am I doing these? And do I really want to do that? And, and I, I, I stopped actually that journey. I, it's incredible to say, but almost seven years ago. And I work in higher education and I inspire people. I inspire people to go to college because I know that college was good for me. So going back to this crazy woman that you're talking to. Um, <laughs> so because camp became such an important place for me, when I was 17 years old, I was going to be a counselor in training. And that was my life dream, right? My goal. Like I imagined like, wow, you know, you, you take care of young girls and this is a first step to become a counselor. And I'm terribly dyslexic, which was not identified until very late in my life. So, for example, I did awful in math. So as a high school kid, I was struggling in math. My parents were making me do homework and go to a tutor, and they were doing the best they could. And I was putting the time, but my brain just wasn't doing the connections. I feel like I had a shortcut there, a short circuit or something like that. So anyway, uh, time came for me to be a CIT at camp, and I had to do like summer school for math. And so the camp director, who also was a very important person in my life, um, her name is Jean Schellenberger, and she has a sister who lives here in Pittsfield. Um, So anyway, the camp director said, Eleanor, if you're going to work with us in the summer, you have to work for us the whole summer. I said, can I leave in August so I can take my (laughs) math test? She's like, no. So I said to my mother, mom, I'm sorry, but I dreamed all my life to be a counselor in training. And this math class is getting on the way. So see ya. And I was afraid that number one, I could give my mother a heart attack and feel guilty about maybe killing my mother, right? Because I disappointed her, right? Like what kind of a child does that? An ungrateful child. And my grandfather, who was an incredible human being and person in my life said, Eleanor, he said two things. You're not a gold coin, so therefore you're not indispensable. And number two, nobody will die because you do your life. Mm. I said, okay, grandpa, <laughs> see ya. So I came to camp and I quit school. I quit high school because that was the price I had to pay. So for many years, I was a high school dropout. 
And uh, but I was a very happy go lucky <laughs> high school dropout. And in all honesty, it didn't bother me at all because I was very lucky that I spoke English. So one day I have a friend who uh, invited me to the theater. He was very bad at showing up on time and he was very good at standing me up. So I was all <laughs> dressed up, ready to go to the theater and he wasn't showing up and he wasn't showing up. I was like, okay, ready to put on my pajamas. Let me check one more time at what time the play is. Paper, newspaper, okay? So I'm reading the Mexican newspaper and I see an ad in English. And I said, hmm, how weird. Why is somebody advertising in English, right? So he talked about like, if you knew how to speak English and you wanted to teach English as a second language, call this number. I had nothing to do. And my mom was going to, she was ready to kick me out of the house, right? Because like, <laughs> you better be doing something, right? So anyway, I called and I got a job. I got a job as an English as a second language teacher um, at Berlitz, which was wonderful for me. So I was like, who wants to go to school? Like, who cares, right? Like, I was like, <laughs> very bad poster child. But I had the joy of doing something that I thought was really good fun. And at the same time, have the freedom to take the summers off and keep on coming to camp. So I was like, who needs school? Not me. <laughs> <laughs> Not me. And um, so, yeah, there goes against going against the culture, the grain, the expectations. And not that I was very, I wasn't, I didn't decide I'm going to be a rebel. It just, I was, right? Or maybe I just gave up. Who knows? But for me, it was a wonderful journey. And because I had this wonderful relationship with the YMCA in, in Beckett, the Beckett Chimney Corners YMCA, it led for me to have an opportunity to come to work at the YMCA of Greater New York. Mm -hmm. still a high school dropout <laughs> and uh, that was a great opportunity for Accomplished me quite a bit yeah i did my gd at the y and and later here in the berkshires um i i went to bcc and i was telling my colleagues and some of my students last friday how i always wanted to come back to college but i felt my opportunity had passed that i had blown it that i screwed up and so that was a heavy burden to carry. But when I was here as an adult and I learned about Berkshire Community College and that my age didn't matter, that was wonderful that it was like 1990, mm -hmm. I don't know, or 80 something. But I started dreaming about being able to come to college. And, and honestly, thank God, my life has flown between here and there. This is my home and Mexico is my home. I'm 53 years old. I, I lived in the United States since I was 25 when I came to work at the international branch of the YMCA. Before that, I spent so many summers of my life here. Um, so there are people I love that made me who I am here and there or there and here. So I have two homes and I pray to God I will always have two homes. I'm leaving right now, but I feel it's a temporary leave because I don't want to leave. I don't. I don't. I don't because we have these wonderful friendships. I think we also live in an incredible community that cares about people, that is willing to widen its horizons, re-question things, push the envelope, and create a space at the table for, for those who sound and look different. So I love this place. In this place, 
I became me. There's a song that used to sing at camp that I love, and I always identified with it as me being here. And it's from a musical. I didn't know, but it's from a musical. But it says, rivers belong where they can ramble. Eagles belong where they can fly. I got to be where my spirit can roam free. Got to find my corner of the sky. And I always felt the Berkshires were my corner of the sky. There is a idea out there that the toughest place to thrive and to succeed is home. I, you know, in a lot of ways, because I don't know, <laughs> because people have their own expectation of you. Maybe you know they have. Um, you know, it, it's it's actually interesting because when you kind of have that metaphor of oh, I can go to camp and be me, right? Um, home is like a microcosm of growing up with your family, and mm -hmm. you actually raised a really great point. And how many? people have you mentored over the years where they maybe misinterpret, probably most of the time misinterpret how important it will be or how hard it will be to not meet expectations of their parents, mm -hmm. which I, I think that is one of the most underrated uh phenomenons that that are that is out there because a lot of people would not without even necessarily even knowing it um are following a certain path because they don't want to disappoint their parents some people are rebellious and they look forward to doing whatever they can to disappoint their parents that's a small minority though yeah. i feel um of people out there but you know i think people overestimate how their parents may or may not react to what their interpretation of what the expectation is of what their parents expect. Right. And it goes back to love, right? Our parents love us and they think that if we follow certain paths, our life will be easier. It will be better that they can save us from some bad situations and that they are placing us in the best that they know position, right? And like this person that we were talking to about, right? From our mentor, right? How he believes, and, and I, I respect that a lot, that if I follow this path, I could do better service. And it's coming out of love. And then out of love, we don't want to disappoint them, right? But then it's out of love to ourselves that we listen to that voice that says, yeah, but what about? this energy that doesn't fit that option. And so it's hard. It's hard. It, being human is hard to, to find our way. And, um, but it's a wonderful journey. And, uh, and I hope that we, I mean, like, what, does it come with age that we realize these? I don't know. I don't know. Right. But, um, and, and I know that there are sometimes some very young people who have this incredible spirit and they just teach you things. Yes. So I think it's honoring, honoring what people are telling us. And, and as much as we want to save them from danger or trouble or heartache, um, support people in their journey. And I feel 
with my own personal story and family, um, I I feel like they now, not that they didn't appreciate me because I'm honestly a very lucky person. I'm a very, very lucky human being who was loved and cherished and protected and challenged and pushed um, by people who love me. And they love me still, but sometimes I don't fit their expectation. And um, so we have come to terms. (laughs) (laughs) We have come to terms because I, I have to stop being a child in their mind, in their eyes, and in my heart and say, hey, I love you. I respect you. But this is a two-way street. And in order for us to continue having a good relationship, I need you to see me as me. Not as what you wish I was or I wasn't, because this is it. So in order for us to be able to have a relationship, you have to honor that. And so it's still growing pains, right? And it's not only when you're like a teenager and your whole body is changing, it's you're still your spirit. It's, it's, it's reshaping itself. And so um, for those who feel that the path has been laid in front of them and following this path is going to give them the success they're looking for, by all means and purposes, take it. But for those who don't feel that's the right path for them, Listen to yourself and find your own, as you were saying, John, uh, form of success. Because um, success, I I was watching how you were interviewing uh, uh, a teacher who has been nominated as a teacher. And and, and I, I was listening to her story and I thought, wonderful, right? And that has been her path for success. And whether she gets the nomination or not, she is successful. Because that little kid said, remember, there was a little student that came and said, I feel good when my teacher helps me when I'm having trouble. And that's success. It's, I, I think we sometimes lose ourselves by the plaques and the recognitions and the ceremonies. And they feel good. By all means and purposes, they feel good. But that's not success. Because that can be false it sure can it sure can and and there's a lot of cynicism out there and people who recognize that you know i mean i mean hey i i was in politics for a long time (laughs) you know like you know it there's all kinds of shenanigans that happen in the world for people to get awarded this and that and the other thing so that leads me actually to a question about you know you just came from church yeah. Um, tell me about your spirituality a little bit, if you care to share. I, um, mm. you know, you are Christian. You go to a church in Lenox, um, and we're just headed up uh, from there uh, to get to the podcast. You know, so yeah. tell me about that. What does that mean in your in your life and and, and who you are? Trinity Church uh, in Lenox Walker Street is is so important to me. And like, for example, right now, as I'm planning to leave, it hurts. It really hurts to think, oh, my God, I'm not going to come to service here. If I die not here, like Anita was going to play the music. Um, So my life has been very crazy and bumpy. And um, I I was raised by a single mother who had incredible parents who, and, and 
siblings, right? That's why I say I was loved, 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 loved. And I was loved. But my grandparents uh, are incredibly important to who I am. My name is Eleanor because that's my grandma's la- first name. And I'm I'm not Garcia anymore because I changed my last name a few times, but I'm Garcia because I had an absent father and my grandfather gave me his last name. So, um, and these two human beings met in Berkeley, California in the 1930s, a Mexican guy and a wasp. And uh, they fell in love. They love each other. And her family could not accept that. So they literally said, you're dead to us. You're mm. marrying a Mexican. You have no daughter. But love was very powerful. And this woman was amazing. And this is my grandma. And she followed my grandpa. First through uh, living a very high-end life to having a, a box of vegetables for their firstborn child. And... Um, And because they went to Mexico to visit my great-grandparents in Mexico and had a terrible accident, they ended up living in Mexico, right? So my grandma, la gringa, uh, was very influential in my life in many ways. And my grandpa, the Mexican, was also. And both of them were rebels and trailblazers in their own time and place. And they believed that... they believed in faith and spirituality, but they did not believe in imposing it on their children. And because of culture and tradition, their children had to be baptized. <laughs> so their children were baptized in a Catholic world. But they gave their children freedom to think. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, I later learned that my grandfather, the Mexican, joined the Masons. Just like crazy, <laughs> right? But anyway. Uh, I mean, so- it's, I mean, hugely either rebellious or I I don't even know. It's a contradiction. It's a search. I think it's it's a search. search. Uh But so when I was um, a child, I was um, the best school in my neighborhood was a Catholic school. And so I went to Catholic school run by Kansas nuns or nuns from Kansas. (laughs) So, so it's crazy, right? The the nuns were from Kansas. Yeah, they were from Kansas, literally American (laughs) nuns that from the order of St. Patrick's. Okay. Um, Because after the Mexican revolution, many, many nuns were killed Mm -hmm. in the, in the revolution and actually being a nun from that previous era was almost impossible in Mexico. So anyway, um, I went to Catholic school and I wasn't baptized. Right. And I wouldn't go to church on the weekends. And they would ask me, what was the sermon last weekend? You know, like, "Ah, I don't know. Um, So for me, it was very difficult to go to a Catholic school and not be a Catholic and know that I wasn't a Catholic. But I had wonderful mentors in the nuns and I loved them and I loved their service and their ministry and how they would go to the Mexican sierras and, and work. And I just thought, oh my God, this is amazing. And I actually thought I'd be a nun once, but uh, first I <laughs> Wait had- a minute, wait a minute. Hold on. Yeah, so, so hold it's on. true. So at what age um, and where were you when you were thinking of this idea of actually becoming a nun? Yeah, uh, I was in my early teens. And uh, when I was 16 years old, I decided that I wanted to be baptized. And so I was very lucky because I- uh, 
I went and I took classes to be baptized, right? And I got baptized at the Basilica de Guadalupe, which is the main church in Mexico. Mm. And I was just thinking like, wow, like this is like the Vatican, like Notre Dame. It's like Basilica de Guadalupe. And I was baptized aware and knowing that I wanted to be part of these. And uh, so for me, it was wonderful. And I, I, that was a great experience for me. Um, and so I was a very good churchgoer and, and challenger. I like to challenge things, right? Like, why does the Bible talk about a slave? Or why does the Bible talk about this woman who was kicked out, right? Because Abraham had a child, right? <laughs> right? And <laughs> how funny, right? <laughs> um, so uh, I found a priest that was very... Um, open-minded and revolutionary and we would go and have these incredible conversations and for me that was that was great and i was very happy to be able to be part of this community which i had felt excluded from because of the nature of my birth right because right. i was a bastard child which i hate that word and i feel um it's a horrible way of excluding people um and then because I hadn't been baptized. So, um, but that gives me also the hope and the redemption of like whatever stories you came from, you can change it. You don't have to be neither the labels that somebody placed on you nor the limitations of the people of that time. So that was great for me. And uh, I was a good Catholic girl, I guess, when I was a Catholic girl. <laughs> So that so that changed. Yes, of course. Ultimately, um, but I mean, going from okay, I have this progressive priest I'm talking to. I'm thinking about becoming a, a nun. You're in your teens, and then. Well, I wasn't going to be a nun because I wanted to get married and have children, <clears throat> and that's not well, allowed. right. That's kind of the thing. So that's right. Like, that's you know? <laughs> not allowed. That's not allowed. <laughs> uh, and I thought, you know, you can be of service still. I always wanted to be of service. And uh, so I found ways of being of service. And uh, living here in the Berkshires uh, was very interesting in my religious life as well, because I married a man who was divorced. So, and I had children with that man and I wanted my kids to be baptized. And uh, the priest was like, well, there's a little problem here. We can't baptize your kids because Mm. I said, I was like, damn it, these stupid rules. <laughs> Again, <laughs> like, you know, what is going on like, in this church? Rules? Like, I'm just trying to, you know, get along in life. Yeah. Trying to be a part of this church. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to say this, and it's a criticism, not to be critical, because it's my life, my lived experience. But I found it very hard to go to church and say, peace be with you to some people on Sunday and then bump into them in the supermarket with pushing their supermarket cart and just like do like a kind of like, I don't know you kind of thing. Yeah. It's like, what the heck? You know, like. And why was that? Because of the. I don't uh, know. Stigma I never of... interviewed them, um, <laughs> but I think that I was still an outsider. Yeah. And uh, they, hmm. as much as they profess their faith, were not willing to open their door to the outsider. That's my take on it. One day, maybe I'll have a conversation with them. I don't know. Hmm. Um, and I had, I had a few experiences of like, well, like I was like, our kids go to the same Catholic school. 
our kids are the same age. You're working middle class. I'm working middle class. What? Just because I didn't go to the same high school you went to, you're going to turn your back on me? And I'm speaking about physically turning their back on me. So for me, that was difficult. And it's kind of related with being an immigrant and my faith. And that really gave me some trouble. Then there was an electoral time when a candidate, a local Massachusetts candidate, was criticized because of his faith and his support for abortion or his stand on abortion. And at the Sunday service, the priest basically told us what to do. And I was like, no, you don't tell me what to do. Hmm. Sorry. I didn't come to church for that. So I was uh, upset and annoyed. And then I moved from Pittsfield to Lee. And I got something in the mail about being a parent and wanting to have faith and having children growing to this community of faith, but being difficult. And they were, it was an invitation. And it was from Trinity Church. So I went as a spy. (laughs) (laughs) No, I went with a very critical mind. You know, I'm like going to see what do they have? What do they offer? What is the Episcopalian church? How is it similar? How is it different? Blah, blah, blah. And did you um, sit in the back pew? Exactly. With your. (laughs) Yeah, but (laughs) I can uh, see Eleanor in the back pew with her arms crossed, just kind of taking notes. (laughs) But uh, Stephen Booth, who was the rector at the time, came to the back of the church, acknowledged me, recognized that I was there. He acknowledged me and he shook my hand and invited me to coffee hour. And that I hadn't received in my Catholic church. And I had been going to that Catholic church for like seven years. And, uh, and then they had a program for children called Godly Play. And I thought, you know, this is interesting. And uh, they became my family. I love them. I I cannot tell you how much I am in grief right now, wondering if the Zoom church service is going to stop after COVID. Because like, at least I can Zoom from Mexico. I would be so happy. And I, if I die soon (laughs) or later or whenever I die, I do really, truly want my service to be a Trinity church because all of them became my family. All of them rooted for me when I was going through college. All of them welcome my children. Uh, they care about them. They they see them as an extended family member. They I just love them. I really truly love them. And uh, so my faith has been enhanced by this wonderful experience of people, literally, being good Samaritans, opening the door to the stranger. Um, so yeah, I love that church. I know today, um, our rector will be walking, uh, from, I forgot the name of the student because I'm so overwhelmed. Miguel, who was shot. Um, um, it's, uh, my faith has been very helpful to me. Um, and I need it because I'm a very flawed human being and, uh, it gives me a place to pause and think and ask for help and guidance in the next crazy thing that might do because I'm always doing something crazy. And so, yeah. I Well, any human who professes perfection is a liar. 
Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> and uh, I know you're, <laughs> but I think that humility um, is really important. I think that's something that comes also with maybe wisdom uh, is, is that humility because, you know, you know, surrender is a big deal. Um, sometimes that's all you can do and, and it's okay because I think it's another part that we're taught that that's not, that's weakness or that's, you know, but surrender doesn't mean weakness. It means, it means surrendering and, you know, and having faith, uh, that, uh, sometimes there are things that are out of your control. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay. I mean, it's not okay. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't feel good all the time, no. but, uh, but it's also, uh, it is the experience of being a human being. Exactly. The experience of being a human being. And I'm so glad you brought up church because today in the service, they were talking about, um, how, being at the table is so important and they were talking about jesus how he was sitting at the table but he he said i came to the table to serve and in for a very long time in my time in the berkshires he's been talking about widening the places at the table right having more voices at the table and i see it happening over and over and it's such a wonderful thing to see but I hope that we don't forget that being at the table prevents us, that doesn't prevent us from serving. It actually gives us a better chance to continue serving. So, yeah, for me, uh, being at the table is of service. And, and I hope my life is of service, to be honest with you. I really, uh, I have a friend that I wish if she could, call in she'd say like oh my god because like when we were in high school sometimes i would like stand up for things that i thought were unfair and uh and my friend dulce she would call me la monja loca she's like oh eleanor you're like crazy no you know like because i would challenge the system and stand up for i believe for what i believe was right even if it meant that I had to stand up against my classmates, right? In favor of the unpopular teacher who was being terrified by us, the horrible teenagers that we were at that time. So I hope if anything I've done in the Berkshires is to serve, well, maybe not perfectly, but to my ability. And I, I want to find the path to continue coming back. But when I was in camp and we would have days off, um, I had a friend who invited me somewhere in Boston. And I I remember my girlfriends, because it was an old girls camp, uh, going home for the weekend or the day off. And I always wish I could go home for the weekend or my day off. I always wish I could go home, right? But it wasn't possible. And I used to some, when I went with this friend of mine to Boston and we were on the Mass Pike, I was wishing the Mass Pike would take me home. Right. And of course, that doesn't happen. I'm not Dorothy. (laughs) Right. But I really wish the mass pike would take me home. And later, home became here. And actually, the mass pike would take me home. And so now that I'm going to my other home in Mexico, I I wish I was like the Jetsons. (laughs) 
<laughs> and be able to go back and forth at any time. But I really, I'm, I'm wrecking my brain, really thinking, what can I do? What skin can I come up with? How can I be a person who just gets on a plane back and forth, back and forth and, and lives in the two both in the two places? Because I live in my heart in both places. Physically, I have to be in one. And to leave the Berkshires right now feels very different from the last time I left because I know that there's Latinas 413 and Yo Soy Arte and Amor to Our Raices and the uh, uh, immigrant movements that will do the work I was doing. I know they are all doing that and even better. I'm so happy for them. And I'm so happy for our community and I'm so happy for the ones who are coming after them because I know the work will continue. I know that Berkshire Community College is working very hard to make sure that they serve every student that goes through their doors. Um, and so, as my grandpa told me, uh, I am replaceable, but that's good. That's very good because if, if I don't feel like I'm leaving a void. It's being filled by others and not because they are replicas of me or anything like that. They're all doing their own thing. They're doing their own journey. They're following their own voice, but they're serving. So the kind of service that I was given will be given by others. And I'm happy to know that I'm not leaving a void. And I'm going to a place where actually my relatives need me and nobody can fill that spot. There's where grandpa is wrong. <laughs> yeah. And it's the, it's the paradox of true leadership, because if you are a true leader, then you're not just leading a movement. What you're doing is you're actually inspiring others to then become leaders. And I think that's the true legacy you know, that is here for you that you're leaving is this idea that you know when you are a true leader you are replaceable because you've created more leaders mm. <laughs> and that's the and and i think that's the paradox right there um you know I, I, you're you're much loved and i could i mean there's probably about you know a dozen other people who can come in and and share your vision now or more, mm -hmm. uh, you know, today you talked about the Latinas 413 and where we've come in this community from even a decade ago, um, but two decades ago even um, is uh, remarkable, is remarkable. It really is. And, you know, back when I used to interview you on the radio show uh, and, uh, you know, kind of talk about these things, we talk about the issues and the challenges that people have had uh, as uh, immigrants, as coming to this country, as coming to the Berkshires, um, the network that's been created and the support system that is now in place, in part, uh, uh, immensely because of the work that you've done. Um, I don't think, uh, I mean, Berkshire County owes you an incredible debt of gratitude. Mm, thank you, John. But I really think uh, I learned from so many. Like, I think about the Jewish Federation. Sure. I think about the Berkshire Immigrant Center. I think about Alexandra Warshaw. I think about ministers who have passed, you know, who were like the Council of Churches, Mayor Roberto, right? Sarah Hathaway. I mean, so many people. They did that before me. 
they taught me. It's like a relay race, right? Somebody has a torch and they pass it on and we keep on running because unfortunately, being human is going to be a constant struggle. Being human is going to mean that we are constantly, um, we as an individual reinventing ourselves, our societies are going to continue changing, having new waves of immigrants, right? Um, I mean, like the Jewish Federation, like the Jewish Federation has done an incredible job in Berkshire County, and it really uh, opened the doors for so many members of our community. There are so members of our community, we don't even think about them as not being ever not from the community, right? And so I learned a lot from them. Arlene, I'm forgetting her last name, but please forgive me, Arlene, from the Jewish Federation. I think it's Schwartz, but don't quote me on that because... Uh, I had a little bit of tequila. No, <laughs> no, it's because I'm 53. It's okay. No, no, no but no, no. honestly, Just blame it on the tequila. That's okay. <laughs> but, we leave, but you know what, John? I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was thinking about like, are we lucky? We live in Berkshire County where there's uh, people like um, Du Bois, Elizabeth Topman, or Friedman. No, Elizabeth Friedman, right? Where uh, Susan B. Anthony is not far away as a neighbor, right? Uh, where we're thinkers. That sh Born like, in Adams. Yeah, Born I know. Like, am I, like <laughs> think about these, right? Like, I always thought like, whoa, how lucky For am I? For the size of Berkshire County, the number of luminaries uh, who have uh, yeah. been born here and, and raised here. And that says something. They were yep. raised here. Yeah. yeah. And Shay's Rebellion, right? Like, oh my God, we live in a place art right incredible art incredible creativity incredible spirit of like ah this is not good let's change it so we you know it's the water <laughs> no but we are human beings who happen to be in this place that i feel is incredible i used to sit down like in churches because i i've been lucky to go to many different churches here and think like how did elizabeth uh how did susan b anthony like go from here to Albany in a wagon? What kind of shoes was she wearing in the winter? How cold was it? Like I have my good jacket, right? Like every time I'm sitting in one of those spaces, I think, oh my God, I am here. You were here before me. And it's my job to continue these, this process. And I'm going to go crazy right now. Okay. So bear with me. But you need a little bit more to kill. <laughs> you can pour it. Pour me yeah. some too while yeah, we're at it. Thank you. Have to open yours. <laughs> but anyway, so I was thinking about this because this is crazy. So my my very 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 best friend in the whole wide world just passed away. Mm, I'm sorry. Thank you. And she had some bacteria in her intestines. And honestly, I never think about the intestines. Uh -uh. Who thinks about them? I don't. So when she was very ill, the doctors talked about how you need them to leave. And so I had to start thinking about, wow, an intestine is important. Like, uh, we talk about the heart. We talk about the liver. We talk about so many things. We don't talk about the intestines, right? And so I don't know. But I thought about how we human beings, for example, if I eat an apple, right? I eat an apple. An apple is good. What's wrong with an apple? I eat an apple and my body processes this apple. And there are parts of that apple 
that are going to get my blood running and give me all this energy and be wonderful for me. But there are parts of this apple that are waste, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'll use the energy and I'll get rid of the waste and I'll eat another apple or eat broccoli or salad or meat or chicken or you name it, whatever. And I was thinking, like, how can it be that we live in Berkshire County and like Du Bois fought so hard? And Elizabeth Freeman fought so hard. And Shea, the members of the Shea Rebellion fought so hard. And the Shakers, right? To have a, an inclusive society where both men and women could be leaders. And, you know, when do we stop fighting? And the truth is that we'll never stop fighting. It will, will change, right? It's like that apple. It has good things and it has things that we get, we need to get rid of. And so we will constantly be living our lives in the time and place we are and usually absorbing and hopefully absorbing the best of it and hopefully happily getting rid of what we don't need. And maybe that's human nature. I don't know. I, I have no clue. I wonder why we're still fighting today. Why did George Floyd had to get murdered? Why do we have to talk about anti-racism? Why do we have to have a march today? Why do we have to have a disagreement between which lives matter more, if it's black or blue? I don't know. Maybe it's part of the part of our human nature. And I said I was going to go crazy, but I'm going crazy here because I wish we had that magic wand that would make us all love and respect each other, but we don't. Hmm. Why do we? I don't know. Was but I think the more that you talk with people and, and those who presumably you would think at the beginning are not necessarily on the same mindset as you, you find that we all have much more in common than we may expect. And, I, and, and I'm not so sure that society as a whole, big society, you know, uh, you know wants these, um, these fights to continue on uh, because it creates fear and it allows a population that's easier to control in a lot of ways. I think we have a lot more in common when we sit down and talk. I know it sounds simple and I know it sounds really naive, but my God, uh, you know, human beings have so much more in common than otherwise. And I just feel as though that uh, in a lot of ways, um, you know, we, we have fear being pumped into us, uh, you know, for for reasons that may we may not may not even know about. Whether it's profit from media companies, whether it's uh, corporations, whether it's just, and and you know, um, and I think you know that's part of recognizing um, things that again we're just much more alike. We're we are, so much more alike. We are, John, and I think in our alikeness is both that yin and yang, right? the hope and aspirations that we have, the dreams that we have for our loved ones or family, and the fear. And I, I believe is when people poke in our fear is when we start seeing each other different. So um, before the election of a president that I don't like, um, I was asked to talk about in the national, you know, like the Hispanic Heritage Month, right? And I was going through all these things. And for the first time in my life in Berkshire County, and you and I spoke about this, 
I felt in danger for being Hispanic, for being Mexican, for being one of those rapist killers, you name it, mm-hmm. who drink tequila. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's Which true. Is unbelievable because you lived in the same community mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with the same people, mm-hmm. and yet because of a message messages that have been put out there which change people's framework yeah it, you felt in danger mm-hmm. same people same community yeah. i mean yeah maybe some some you know turnover in community but at the same time there it is yep and that, that's how powerful it is and that's and i think hopefully we have more time to talk about this because when people poke into our fears it's so powerful and dangerous so I was asked to talk at a, an event and I just had no clue of what I was going to talk about. To be honest with you, I had like, I don't like, I don't know what to say. And I went to see an exhibit of an artist called Anish Kapoor. So Anish Kapoor, I think it might come to the mind of your listeners. If you think about the bean in Chicago, that very big silver thing that is somewhere in Chicago, I've only seen it in pictures. I haven't seen it in person. <laughs> But so Anish Kapoor had an exhibit and I happened to be in Mexico, right? And I went to see this exhibit and I walked through it and it was very wonderful, like mind blowing. But then there was this huge mirror and I actually walked by it very quickly and didn't pay much attention to it. And I thought, oh my God, I did this very quickly. Maybe I should walk again the exhibit because I did it very fast. And there was this woman standing in front of the mirror and moving. She was moving very slowly. And I just paused to watch her. And it was amazing because depending on how she moved, her image looked like her image. And in some places, her image looked like a woman with two heads mm-hmm. because of the bends on the mirror. Right. And I just stood there like mesmerized watching her. And it made me think about how some people could use my image and make me look dangerous, make me look scary a threat. So people who had walked by the mirror fast, right? Like I did the first time, maybe just saw Eleanor. But then when they started listening to this scary two-head woman who, you know, who's Mexican, dangerous, blah, blah, blah. Of course you would be scared, right? So when I spoke at that church, I spoke about like when you go to a fair or a circus where they have the house of mirrors, right? How, uh, how, who I am and how I see myself might differ from how you see me based on the mirror that is presented. And and I think we have to be very careful with that because it's perception, right? The same people, you were saying it. I love my neighbors. In all honesty, I love my neighbors after I got divorced and I had to figure out how to pay for a mortgage by myself, right? It was difficult, right? And I was like, oh my God, you know, and I could look for other places, but I really didn't want to look for any other places because I love my neighbors. Mm -hmm. But then my neighbor's fears were poked. Not all of them, right? But And and so these kind of two-head images of me came out, right? In their imagination or their perception. And I think there was fear. And I remember having a very painful conversation with one of my neighbors about reading this book called Night by Eli Wiesel. I don't know how to pronounce it right. But I, and, and I think it's important because we are also going through a time where some of our faraway neighbors in Russia and the Ukraine are, are seeing each other through different lenses and killing each other, which is terrible. 
So I said, you know, in this book, Eli's father is a rabbi, and he doesn't think that what's happening in Germany will happen in his country. I don't remember if he was from Holland or Hungary. I don't remember. But the truth is that in a meeting with his neighbors, the neighbors said, don't worry. If that ever happened here, we would protect you. But the truth of the matter is that when the Nazi movement came to their place, the neighbors shut their doors and closed their windows and turned off their lights. And I was afraid of that. I'm, I'm honest with you. I was afraid of that. I was afraid of the well-being of my own children. I was, I was broken and I was scared and I left. I was angry also. And I, and I know that, thank God, the goodness of human beings is stronger than the evils and the fears that are poked into us because I know that I was able to restore my relationship with this neighbor that I love and who loves me, who was just scared, not because he wanted to be scared, but because people took advantage of his fear. And, and I hope that as we go through our journey in life, we give ourselves the moment to pause and remember that the other human being is still a human being who still wants to provide for their family and love them and, and get up in the morning and go to work and make a living and come home and, you know, have dinner and have a conversation about how was your day and take the kids to baseball practice, right? Or dance or ballet or poetry. Or like, for example, yesterday, I went to this incredible program, the PMP that uh, Berkshire uh, Barrington Stage Company does. I mean, like, we're all, we are all fighting our own battles and the, the worst thing that we can do is let those people who find your Achilles, what is it, heel? <laughs> your Achilles heel, poke it. Because when yeah. they poke it, we all crumble. I, I'm not immune to that. You're not. I, I don't think any of us are immune. But let's. I hope that we can recognize that. That for whatever, like you were saying, corporations, who knows what, why, right? I don't know why. Right. But there are those who will find that and they'll poke it, knowing that they'll break you. But there is a wonderful Japanese theory, and I don't remember the name of the theory, but it's about the broken bowl theory. And I hope that we as human beings can do this. And it talks about how in, in Japanese culture, when a bowl is broken, instead of discarding it, you can put it back together with gold, right? So our brokenness can seem as a failure, right? You didn't achieve your goal. You're a disappointment to your father, your mother, your mentor, your society, who cares? Or the fact that you were broken and you found the way to become whole again is beautiful. And, and, and it looks like gold, like you're painting behind you. Huh? <laughs> so uh, hopefully we are kind to each other when we break and, and understand that we have all have weak points and that that's just part of being human and that even if we're broken and, and we feel shattered, we can re reclaim ourselves in a different version. And so um, to our 
yours and mine listeners today because they're listening to us. I hope that we see that and we try to prevent being broken by others, be scared by others and appreciate the humanity in all of our neighbors, you know, because every Russian life matters and every Ukrainian life matters. And, you know, like we, I, I have students who are both Russian and Ukrainian, right? I'm not going to favor any freight. I can't. And I understand that they are on different sides of the fence because that's where they are. And the way that the story has been told is from a different lens. But I know that in each side of the fence, there's a father, a mother, a son, a, a daughter, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a person with dreams and fears or a human being who has had an incredible journey with ups and downs, still a human being, still a human being. And uh, my heart aches for the Ukraine because they are being bombed. But my heart also aches for Russia because I don't know. They're drinking poison water. I don't know what's happening, how torn they are. But I know this is a challenge for them too. Hmm. Eleanor Garcia. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm a last name, less, less person. I don't know. <laughs> I'm a multi The artist known as Eleanor. <laughs> Leave it there. We love you. Um, you always have a home here, of course. Thank you. And uh, you always have a seat at uh, this household uh, whenever you'd like to uh, be here. But uh, I know we'll see you often. And uh, certainly uh, your friends in the church at Lenox, I know you'll be back there uh, so often. And, um, and you have a, an immense legacy that is one of incredible positivity, joy, openness, uh, welcoming mm. and support. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we love you, and you. Um, and uh, we'll be seeing you down the road. Yep, and come down to Mexico. Mi casa es tu casa. It's not a joke. It's for real. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Salud, John. Gracias. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the John Kroll podcast on your platform of choice. Maybe it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whatever works for you. Also, I would like to hear from you on the people and the stories that you'd like to hear more of. Send me a note through Facebook Messenger, Instagram, LinkedIn. I'm easy to find and I'm easy to reach. I look forward to hearing from you. And if you'd like to support the podcast for less than a cup of coffee, and I'm not talking about the cost of a large latte at a fancy coffee shop, no, more like a McDonald's coffee, go into the description of this episode and scroll down to the anchor.fm link. It's right there. Just click it and you can see your options or log on to anchor.fm backslash John hyphen Kroll backslash support. Again, thank you for listening. I'm John Kroll. Talk to you soon. Thank you.